Well, good morning. It's great to be um, great to be with all of you today. We uh, have caught up on a lot of uh, a lot of memories uh, over the last uh, 12 hours, maybe it was. <laughs> and um, so it's a joy to be back with you again. Um, I just wanted to say how deeply grateful we are for those of you who have uh, prayed for us and supported us over the years. And um, we uh, really consider it a blessing to have been able to, to serve where we have um, in, a, in a medical ministry, uh, medical evangelism there. And, um, and now after those years, we're transitioning uh, back to the States. Uh, interestingly, over the last five plus years, there's been a, a significant relentless um, uh, increase in restrictions and registration and the and the stopping of visas in, in the country of Pakistan so that uh, people like ourselves as expatriates uh, have, have not been able to continue our, our work. And the number of missionaries in Pakistan has gone down considerably over the last few years. And that, of course, sounds like a bad thing. But actually, it's turned out to be a good thing in another way in that the, the local church has had to step forward. And isn't that what we all would hope for uh, in any ministry that we're involved in, that, that the next generation will come and that they will take over the work and do that? So that now there's a, a godly Pakistani uh, board of directors uh, that is caring, watching over the ministries of team that include a, a school for poor Christian kids of about 70 children, uh, an association of about 12 churches uh, that um, minister and help each other. The hospital we were, where we've been serving, it sees possibly 90,000 or so outpatients a year uh, with an opportunity to share with our, our patients about the Lord. Uh, a camp uh, up in the mountains that has about 40 camps a year with over 3,000 campers that go through that ministry. A Bible Correspondence Institute with about 850 current students, both doing online and mail-in correspondence courses. And then Zarephath Bible Seminary, which team doesn't operate, but uh, started years ago and is now a, a joint uh, venture training both pastors as well as parachurch workers. So in all that, uh, to see leadership among Pakistanis in each of those, as well as an over, overarching board, has been a, a real blessing. And we covet your prayers for them, them as leaders. We're going to be going back periodically to encourage them, um, but, but basically it's in their hands now. And we hope that much like happened in China, as missionaries left, uh, the Chinese church uh, thrive, and we hope that that will be the case in Pakistan as well. So our job now actually is to call people to consider uh, service in various places around the world, Pakistan being one of them, and of course there are others. And um, we're calling people to places where language and culture are a challenge, uh, where there are dangers potentially of illness or of terror attacks or other things. And uh, <clears throat> people might ask the question, well, why, why would you do that? Uh, that, that sounds like it's uh, not a very loving thing to be uh, asking people to consider such challenges. <clears throat> In actual fact, the reason um, is what I'd like to talk about this morning in, in the message is because that's what Jesus did. Jesus called his disciples into difficult situations. And the beauty of the passage we're going to look at this morning, if, if you have your Bibles, you'd, you could turn to uh, John chapter 11. That's where we're going to be. Um, is that Jesus, we see in this passage, Jesus taking four groups of his disciples into difficult situations and how he met their needs and, and, and helped them to grow in the situation that he took them into. 
And uh, that's been a great blessing and encouragement to me. And uh, I hope it will be part of an answer to why it is that we uh, would call people into difficult situations. So this is a very familiar passage, the death of Lazarus and ultimately his resurrection. And uh, the first person that we encounter uh, in this passage, of course, is Lazarus himself. Now, uh, Lazarus, uh, if we use a little um, uh, uh, sanctified imagination, you could picture him uh, sick uh, in his bed there in Bethany with his two sisters. And, uh, and, and he knows that his sisters have just sent word uh, to Jesus that he's sick. In fact, we read that beginning in verse 3. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said the sicknesses uh, will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and his sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. A rather remarkable last sentence. Uh, In Pakistan, when we hear when someone gets a phone call that their relative is sick, the first thing they do is jump on the, lo- lo- uh, the, the most, uh, the nearest transportation and make a beeline. Because in Pakistan, if you, someone gives you a call that their, their relative is sick, it means they're near death. Or they may actually have died, and they just don't want to give the person a heart attack in knowing that the relative has already died. And here is Jesus, hearing that his uh, beloved friend Lazarus is sick, and yet waiting two additional days. Now, we know the end of the story, and why he waited, and how that all worked out. But poor Lazarus, lying on his sickbed, uh, knows very well that Jesus, because we know at the end of chapter 10, that Jesus was, had just gone from Jerusalem over to the Jordan River, and he was probably only a day's walk uh, to uh, the, the village of Bethany where Lazarus lay sick. So Jesus could, act, could easily have shown up uh, rather promptly uh, at the call uh, to his sickness. But Jesus doesn't arrive. He's waiting two days. We also know that he's probably aware of the fact that, um, uh, as we know in the um, in the story at the end of John chapter four, that Jesus could heal at a distance. You remember the official's son, who and the official came to Jesus, and Jesus said, "Go your way, your son is healed." And then the the official asked, "When was he healed?" And he said, "At the very hour that Jesus spoke." So Lazarus also knew that if Jesus wanted to heal him, and he was over at the Jordan River, he could easily do that as well. But he didn't come. He didn't arrive. And so the, uh, my view of, of the situation is that the crisis that Lazarus is found himself in is pain and the endurance of pain. Um, and Jesus is indirectly, by not arriving, asking him to endure, asking to endure the pain that he's, that he's involved in and not meeting his need immediately. And we, we know that, that there's, a, there's a wonderful word that the Apostle Paul and, and, and James also uses in the New Testament for this, for this concept of endurance. Uh, it's the Greek word hypomone, uh, which comes from hypo, which means under, and mone, which means to, to stay. So the word really means to stay under a burden. Uh, that's the word that's used for endurance. And it's used in 2 Corinthians 6.4, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way in great endurance. There's the word in troubles and hardships, etc. And in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh and that he appealed to the Lord three times and the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And James uses it in James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face 
trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Same word, uh, hypomonia. Uh, when we were first going to Pakistan, uh, we had our opportunity to, uh, to learn this concept. Uh, our second son, Matthew, uh, was probably our most difficult child. If Sheree was difficult for you guys, Matthew was our difficult one. And he started complaining of this unusual back pain and some pain in his legs. And here we are, two doctors, uh, not, not able to figure out what was going on, but finally got to an orthopedic surgeon um, who put a, a penny down on the ground and said, Matthew, pick that up. And he contorted himself to pick up that penny and the, uh, and, and obviously had great pain in his back. And, and ultimately the doctor uh, said, I know what Matthew has. He has discitis, uh, which is an infection in the intervertebral space between two of his uh, backbones um, that children can get. And it's uh, spontaneous. No one knows exactly why it comes about. Uh, and that's what he have. And so our son, Matthew, who's three years old at the time, now has to be in a body cast and have IV antibiotics for multiple weeks. And uh, not only did little Matthew have to endure this, but we had to also stay under the burden of uh, caring for a little three-year-old with discitis. The response to uh, the call to endurance, like with Lazarus, um, can be uh, the, the question in our mind, well, is this really the Lord telling us we shouldn't go to Pakistan? Because we were, we were getting ready. We were literally weeks away uh, from, from leaving uh, to go there. And the question could be, does the Lord, is this a, a sign that the Lord doesn't want us to go? But we had already gone through all of that with the Lord over many, many months, uh, knowing that it was his will. And that right now, what he was asking us to do was to endure a difficult thing uh, as part of a learning and preparatory process for whatever we had for us in the future. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to say that Matthew recovered from that disguitis, and he's a very strapping uh, uh, young man a little older than young now, but, uh, and, um, and, we, and we praise the Lord that the Lord, the Lord rescued him from that. So that uh, in Lazarus's case, uh, the endurance didn't end up uh, in, a, in a rescue. Uh, Lazarus ended up dying. Now we know the end of the story that he rose, but um, we, we, uh, our son Matthew did recover, but the enduring process was no less difficult in, in the time uh, than it might've been with that. So the, the natural human response is what? When we're asked to endure, uh, it's, it's to give up, uh, to say, uh, Lord, you're telling us to do something else. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, he can also ask us, like he asked Lazarus, to endure uh, what, what the Lord has given him. Um, and there are many people in difficult situations uh, that opt for divorce uh, and not enduring a difficult marriage. Uh, and I'm not arguing that that's always the case, but... Um, there are people in deep depression who might decide on suicide rather than enduring that and, and getting help. These are not easy things, but the Lord is asking us to do that. And so I don't know in, in this room today where, um, where you might be. Maybe the Lord is asking you to endure some chronic illness, possibly cancer, maybe a family issue. Um, and there's a time in our lives when the Lord will ask us to endure, to do that hypomone, staying under the burden because the Lord knows that that's something that we that we need. So that brings us to the next of Jesus' group of, of people, verses 7 to 16, the disciples. Uh, the disciples uh, here, um, uh, Jesus uh, instructs them in verse 7. Uh, then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you were going back. Uh, what are you thinking? And Jesus answered, there are 12 hours of daylight 
Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see in this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. And so he goes on to talk about Jesus, Lazarus actually being dead rather than asleep. And then at the very end, amazingly, great response, uh, Thomas of all people, doubting Thomas, who we learn about later, is the one who said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go so that we may die with him. He didn't say, let's go and follow Jesus. Maybe we'll die with him. He actually said, let us go to die with him. They expected that by going back to Judea, that they would be stoned to death because that's exactly what they just experienced with him before. So here, I think the disciples' crisis is fear. Uh, for, for Lazarus, it was enduring pain and a difficult situation. For the disciples, it's an unknown. It's a fear uh, of what they wonder about. And um, in this case, Jesus' response is, is, a, is a slightly different one. In this case, he actually um, encourages us through this little parable to, he exhorts them to move forward and to actually face the fear and face the danger that's ahead of them. And Jesus used this parable in two other places in John. Before this, in John chapter 4, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. Or in John chapter 12, verse 35, Jesus told them, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. So almost exactly the same words that Jesus uses here. Three times now in the book of John that these words are used. Why is he using those? He's using those because he's anticipating opportunity that is immediately ahead. And there's an opportunity in the light that will not be there in the dark. And if they don't act now in the light, then the opportunity will be lost. It's similar to what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 5.16, redeeming the time, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. There's a time when opportunity is there. And if we don't move ahead, despite the fear that we might have about that, then the opportunity may, may well be lost. Our, uh, my, my closest Muslim background believing friend uh, in Pakistan was involved uh, back in 2007 in a literacy work that was going on uh, along with translation that was being done by some SIL uh, missionaries to a particular language group. And while he was doing this literacy uh, work and, and checking, he was abducted by a set of uh, terrorists in, in Pakistan and taken to their camp uh, where he was beaten severely, uh, the muzzle of a gun put in his mouth uh, and told him to tell them what foreigners he was involved in and what his work was. And he told them he was involved, as was the truth, that he was involved with a non nonprofit doing literacy work. Um, finally, they gave up on that. They, they realized they weren't getting anywhere and actually encouraged him to join their group and be a terrorist with them, uh, which he, of course, refused to do. And miraculously, for whatever reason, they decided he was of no use to them. Uh, they ultimately took him down to the main road, dumped him uh, in, on the side of the road and left him for dead. Uh, fortunately, some local people found him, uh, found out uh, where he lived, got him on a bus and got him back to his family some three hours uh, to the south. And when he got home, uh, he called me along with some other people. But because we were physicians, they called to see if we would come and examine him and, and uh, see about his injuries. And uh, when I got there, uh, I was fearful for him. Uh, I'd like to say that I was the uh, prepared missionary who was ready. 
But um, when I saw his bruises and his cracked ribs, and uh, I was saying to him, you know, you need to you need to back away. Uh, you need to not not be so uh, aggressive about what you're doing in that area. And I'll never forget his words. In the face of my fear, he said, we must never let them intimidate us. The Lord is with us. So here I was getting a lesson from my friend who had gone through that. And that is um, an experience I think I've had in my own life and probably in other people's lives as well, that it's actually when we go through the fear that we learn not to fear. It's when we go through the difficulty that we learn not to fear, that the anticipation of something which is unknown to us produces great fear. Having gone through difficult times, we learn that the Lord is with us and that we need not fear. The the usual reaction, the reaction of, of the disciples, it could have been, uh, is to run away. I don't want to go back to Judah. Uh, I'm probably going to be stoned to death there. Uh, but Thomas uh, says, let us also go that we may die with him. So I don't know about your life. Maybe there's a ministry you're considering, which is f- somewhat fearful to you. Uh, I know whenever I get up to speak, uh, it's fearful for me. And uh, and maybe there's something else, uh, someone you need to talk to in your family and you're fearful about what kind of reaction you get from them. Whatever that fearful thing is that's blocking you from moving forward, uh, there's a time when the Lord, like he did with the disciples, asked them to leave their fear behind and move forward. And he exhorted them to move forward in that setting. So now we come to Martha. Wonderful Martha, who we've heard about in other places uh, in Scripture. But here, Martha, as Jesus approaches her, says to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 21. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And for Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection in the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Here I think Martha has a different issue. I think her issue is more about doubt and maybe an element of confusion. She's asking the same question that Lazarus is probably asking. We, 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 gave, we went, gave word to Jesus, who was only one day away, and two days later Jesus shows up. Uh, does Jesus really love us and love our brother Lazarus? If he's all powerful and all good, then why would he let Lazarus die? He could have easily, easily cured him. But her, her question is more a matter of doubt. It's a more of an intellectual question. What's interesting to me here is that Martha, you hear nothing about tears with Martha. It's all que- it's about questions and there's a discussion going on. There's an explanation that Jesus is trying to give her for her doubts and her concerns rather than, as he did with Mary, uh, have a have a weeping and consoling of her. So this is the. This is the kind of doubt and confusion that may, uh, may be part of any of our lives. As, as we encounter difficulties in our life, the question that we might ask ourselves is, what is the sovereign plan of God in all this? And I don't know what it is. And in the midst of all that, doubts and confusion can come our way. Uh, the, probably the closest missionary family to us uh, in Pakistan had four sons. And of those four, the, the, third, the second son, um, was probably the most spiritually sensitive. 
uh, after high school, he went to Cape Henry Bible College in the UK and, uh, and, and was, was involved deeply in the study of the scriptures. And sometime after that time in Bible school, he walked completely away from the Lord and denied his faith uh, to the great uh, concern of his parents and all of us who knew the family. He had this problem. He had the Martha problem of a doubt in some way, something uh, of, of confusion. I've heard some of the things that were crises for him in his thinking and his theology. Um, and to this day, we're praying for him. He has not yet come back to the Lord. We sure hope he does. But just like this, Martha was also struggling uh, with, uh, with the whys and the doubts uh, about, about Jesus and his goodness. And the response that most of us will have to these kinds of doubts are probably two. Uh, one of them is to walk away from the Lord. And there are certainly young people, if I read the statistics correctly, who are going to college and, and doing exactly that and walking away from their faith. Um, and that's been a great burden to me. And I've, I'd, I'd love to speak to some of those, those, those students uh, because I think there are great answers for some of the questions that are being asked. The other one, of course, though, is to ignore the question. To just say, you know, I'm not, I'm not an intellect and I don't know how to answer these ethical and apologetic questions. And so I'll just kind of ignore all that and go on with my faith. But the problem with that, especially for our children, is that we're not digging deep to get answers that will satisfy and help them as they face the world around them. And we live in a pretty crazy world, especially on the West Coast where we are. So the answer, I think, that's the important one is to dig for an explanation. And that that's what Jesus does with Martha. He focuses her on what? He focuses her on himself, who is Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. So even though there are doubts in your mind about how this could all work out and why it is that I didn't come for two days, you know who I am. You know who I am as Jesus and what I've always been like and what I always will be like and that I am the resurrection and the life. And in knowing me, then your doubts can be set aside. And yes, I want you to dig and I want you to find answers to those questions. But ultimately, the answer is in a relationship with me and knowing who I am. And ultimately, Mary does give the answer in the end. You are the Messiah, the Son of God. She understood who he was. But I suspect that there still was some growth in her life that needed to happen, much as it does in our own lives, uh, as we not only grow close to the Lord himself, but also then dig for explanations to difficult questions. Now we come finally to our last character, and that's Mary. And as I mentioned before, we know that Mary and Martha are very different. You remember in Luke chapter 10, when uh, Jesus comes to visit them, uh, Martha is the practical one. She's the one that uh, is cooking the meal, and Mary's the one who leaves the kitchen and goes to Jesus' feet and is listening to him. So Mary is the sensitive uh, and spiritually uh, spiritually sensitive one. Martha is the more practical one. And here we see them almost exactly the same way. Martha, we, we see, as I mentioned before, no mention of crying at all, no mention of tears uh, in, in the passage from Martha. But here as we come to verses 28 to 36, uh, almost all we hear in every other sentence uh, is the tears of Mary. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and she, she made the, exactly the same statement that Martha made. Lord, if you had been here, 
my brother would not have died. But my suspicion is that the tone of that statement was very different. It was mixed with tears. It was an expression of, of profound grief in her own heart. Not a question of doubt so much as a question of loss and of grief in her heart that was very different than her sister Martha. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. And where have they laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then that wonderful verse 35, Jesus wept. Here the response of Jesus is very different than it is with Martha because Mary is experiencing a different kind of crisis in her life, a crisis of great great grief in her own heart at the loss of her brother, which Martha, being the practical and, uh, and tight upper-lipped one, is not experiencing. And how does Jesus respond? Uh, Jesus responds as he should, as we, of course, should with other people, uh, with empathy, uh, with tears himself. We know in First Corinthians, or Second Corinthians, chapter one, verses three to six. Praise be to the God and Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we may comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which produces in you patient endurance. There's our word again, hupomone, of the same sufferings we suffer. A missionary family who lived uh, to the, quite a ways to the south of us uh, in the Sindh province of Pakistan um, named Nikki and Dale um, had two, um, I think at that age, maybe middle-aged school children, a son and a daughter. And they went out one day with some other missionary families uh, to a river uh, to have a picnic together. And the children were, some, were, were, were swimming in the river uh, on, on the edges. Uh, and all at once, uh, they realized that two of the children had drifted out further than they should have been and were out in, in the main current and were being swept downstream. So Dale, the husband, who was a good swimmer, swam out to the children and managed to push them back uh, in so that they could, they could get out of the current. But he, despite being a, a good swimmer, was swept down the river and drowned. So now Nikki is the widow uh, uh, with two young school-aged children. And I never met her in those days because uh, we were way up in the north and she was in the south. Uh, but I know that a, a missionary community came around her like Second Corinthians chapter 1 talks about to comfort her. And amazingly, she decided to stay on in Pakistan. She was a nurse at the Shikarpur Christian Hospital and um, stayed on. Uh, her ch- children continued to be educated in the, in the missionary kids' school and what did she go on to do beyond her nursing? She did member care. Because First Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter 1 talks about exactly that. That when we are comforted uh, profoundly from Christ himself and then from the body of Christ that's around us, uh, then we are able to comfort those around us and have, in, in a sense, uh, a, a call to a ministry of comforting others that people who didn't suffer in that way would, would never experience. So there it was, that uh, practical example of exactly what Jesus is doing here with Mary. I suspect that Martha was not a member care person. Uh, I suspect that Mary was, and that in her deep grief that was, that was cared for by the Lord Jesus, she then, instead of drop, dropping into depression and isolation, uh, moved into a, 
a ministry with others. Um, and, and we know that Mary, of course, was active with the Lord in the years that followed uh, as well. So if you didn't notice, in these four things, I, I'm, uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a teacher who likes memory tools. And so each of the four of these responses from Jesus to difficult situations uh, begin with the word E. So that for Lazarus in his pain, Jesus asked him to endure and to not give up from the endurance that he, ha- he was calling him to have. For the disciples whose fear was paralyzing them from going back to, to, to Judea, Jesus exhorted them to press on in the work that he had called them to do. And for Martha, who was filled with doubts and questions and confusion, uh, the Lord Jesus explained the truth to her and the truth about himself so that she then could move on with an explanation uh, and encouragement in the truth. And for Mary, who was in deep grief, what did, the Jesus, what did Jesus do for her? It was empathy for her. It was weeping with her. It was comforting her. And ultimately, of course, what was it? It was raising Lazarus from the dead that we won't read about, but you all know the end of the story. The really interesting thing to me about this is that even though these are things that we rely on, uh, wherever we are, whatever your ministry is, whatever our ministry is, we rely on these things because all of these things happen to us at different times in our life. There are different times when we have have pain. There's times when we have fear. There's times when we have doubts. There's times when we have grief. And the Lord ministers to us in all those situations. But these are also examples to us about how we, as the body of Christ, minister to one another, isn't it? It, it, when we see someone who is in pain or fear or doubt or grief, then we, following the Lord's example, may need at a time to give an explanation, may at a time need to exhort them to move forward, may at a time uh, need to empathize with them and, and weep with them, whatever that situation might be. So this is not only a, a comfort to us, knowing that our Lord, who is always with us, is that way, but also an example to us of what it is that we should be with others around us. Um, well, our, our time is limited. Just one more thing I'd like to point out from this passage uh, that has been really meaningful to me too. There are only three places in this passage where the word love is used. Uh, the first of them is in verse three, where the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. So that's a, that's a statement by a, by a human being about Jesus loving uh, Lazarus. And then the second one is from the narrator, the Holy Spirit, in verse 5, it said, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And I'd like to parenthetically add his disciples, since we talked about all four of those. And the last use of the word love is in verse 36. Then the Jews said, See now how he loved them. This is the Jews seeing how Jesus wept and then concluded from that that Jesus loved both the sisters as well as Lazarus who had died. Now, the really interesting thing about this is um, that two of these words are the word phileo, love. The first one and the last one. Where uh, the sisters say, Lord, the one you love, is the word phileo, and where the Jews say how he loved him is the Greek word phileo, which is the word for a friendship kind of love. It's the word that, in my simple way of of thinking about the difference between uh, the, the multiple words for love, it is a word that means it's, it's about friendship. It's about easing someone's hurt. It's about 
caring for people. It's about being kind to people. Um, but it's but it's a word that almost always is attempting to ease pain. As opposed to the phrase in verse five, now Jesus loved Martha and his sister and Lazarus. That's the word from the Holy Spirit. And that word is the Greek word agape. That, I think, is the word that's the real word about what Jesus' love is for Jesus. And what is, what is agape? Uh, agape, my, my, uh, my senior pastor when I was growing up in high school, used to say agape is mental attitude love. It's a love that decides uh, what's good for the person, even though it might be painful for the person, even though it might be difficult for the person. It's the thing that really loves them and really is for their best good. That is the way Jesus really loved Lazarus, Mary, Martha, and his disciples. And that is why I think in this whole passage, Jesus is leading these people into difficult situations and he's leading them with agape love into difficult situations, uh, having them have to endure and all these other things because he knows that these are ultimately going to be the things that they learn from and that they do well from. Phileo love, my guess is, would have been healing Lazarus uh, from his from his sickness. Um, it, it might have been uh, telling the disciples, "Yeah, you can run away because it is dangerous actually to go to to go uh, to Judea um, and and be there." Uh, he might have he might have said to Martha, "Well, yeah, your your doubts are there. There may be a, a day when we can reach them. Don't 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 bother yourself so much. Don't dig so hard." Don't look for explanations because that's the easy, easy thing. Uh, and he might have, uh, he might have still wept, uh, with Mary. But the point is that he didn't do that with them, but he did that hard agape love thing, uh, with them in order to get them to grow in their relationship with him. And I, I think that that's such a powerful message, uh, from this passage. And so, I'd just like to conclude as we visit churches and we ask people to think about coming to difficult places and you might ask the question, why do we do that? Why do we ask people to, to go into difficult things? Uh, the answer is, I'm, I'm going to tell you, it's John chapter 11. It's because Jesus did that with his disciples. He moves us all into difficult situations and I don't know what the kind of difficulties are that you're facing, uh, but this is, the, this is the agape love of the loving Lord Jesus who is our savior, who leads us into these situations. And I know that there are difficult places, but he may be asking you to endure pain. He may be exhorting you to move into a, an area of risk. He may be helping you to dig for an explanation for doubts and confusion. And he may be empathizing and comforting you. He might be doing all those at the same time, actually in different situations, but he will do that. And we praise him for being the Lord that he is in doing that. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a a tough, agape-loving God who calls us into hardship for the sake of the kingdom, but at the same time provides your Holy Spirit to meet whatever pain or fear or doubt or grief we face. And Lord, we trust you in that. We want to proclaim that today, that we trust you. And that whatever of those you take us into, we are willing to say with Thomas, Uh, we will go and die with Jesus if that's what you ask us to do. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.